Fried, the burnout podcast. Fried fam, this episode has been a long time coming. Emily and I have been following each other on Instagram for years. Yeah, <laughs> like a very long time. And yeah. we ended up chatting at one point and, oh, there's a book coming. And I thought, well, you know what? That's a really good time to record an episode. So before we even get into it, just know that part of this episode is launching Emily's new book on burnout into the world. And the, right? It's so exciting. <laughs> the book is called The Cure for Burnout, and it's coming to a theater near you. Not really a yes. theater. Not yet. Maybe it will someday. Who knows? But yeah. coming uh, very shortly after this episode. So we're excited to kick it off today. I'm chatting with Emily Ballesteros, who is, I usually start with who is and then read your bio, but that's not exactly how your bio starts. So I'm no. just going to keep going and pretend that I didn't <laughs> do ahead. that. Emily's bio reads, when getting the stomach flu seemed like a quote unquote break, Emily knew that something was horribly wrong. For two years, her life had felt like a sick game of whack responsibility. I love that. <laughs> she treated herself like a vessel for performance until burnout finally hit her like a freight train. Upon discovering her prolonged exhaustion was burnout. She promptly began searching for resources and came up empty-handed. This is like the story every single one of us. I know. Tell. You know, it's like <laughs> I, every time I read it, I'm like another one, you know? Yeah. We all, we yeah. all have that. Yeah. In response, she combined her master's in industrial organizational psychology, her background in corporate training, and her coaching experience to create the resources she wished existed. Today, she facilitates burnout trainings for orgs and has a book coming out called The Cure for Burnout, which drops February 13th. 2024. Emily, welcome to Fried. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I love your show. So I'm excited to be on it. <laughs> I'm so glad to have you here. We usually do start out with a guest's burnout story. I know we touched upon it a little bit there, but we'll 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 play into it a little bit before we jump into we were talking beforehand about like all the things we have to talk about with mm -hmm. each other. So we'll yeah. do a little bit of your burnout story and, and then we'll jump into other things. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so something that I, the three categories I like to break burnout into are burnout by volume, social burnout, and then burnout by boredom. And I am a burnout by volume person. I will repeatedly burn myself out by volume, probably for the rest of my life. And it's just like personal management to ensure that doesn't keep happening, which is common for a lot of people, especially high achievers. And um, I just filled my life to the brim at that point. It was two years of commuting two to three hours a day on Chicago public transit. So public transit, not a relaxing way to commute. And then um, I was working full-time and I was taking in-person night classes full-time. This was um, when I had my big kind of biggest burnout that was in 2019. So all of this was happening pre-pandemic. There was no work looked different. It was not something that you took home in the same way, but everything, it was just different demands. So I was experiencing burnout by volume at that time and then had to just do an overhaul because I'm normally like a very excited, upbeat, optimistic person. And I was just not myself uh, and had gotten to kind of that dark place that I had never experienced before. And I was like, I'm in my early twenties. I can't do this for another 30 years. We got to change some things. So that was what happened to me at that time. Early 20s, you guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Early 20s. Um, I was usually upbeat and optimistic. And then you said, I went into a dark place. Can we get a little more specific about what that looked like? 
Yeah. Oh, I was ready to completely run away from my life. Well, I was ready to do a couple things. I was ready to rage quit just like on the spot because I couldn't do it anymore. And that is very out of character of me. I'm very like, usually I have a lot of, you know, perseverance. I can gratitude my way out of most bad things. Um, but I was just so tired. I loved my job and I loved my program, my degree program, but I was so tired. So I was ready to just quit and drop out, which was out of character. And I was ready to run away from my life. I was like looking up, uh, like, you know, international jobs where I could go live in a small village and just like maybe, I don't know, work as like a barista or like a bartender or something and just leave work at work and not have to go home to more stuff. And I didn't even have kids, like God bless people with kids because you got to, you got to go home and do more. Um, and I was just so detached from my life. Um, and that's, I feel like why a lot of times people are like, am I depressed or am I burned out? And I had to figure out what that distinction was for myself, but I was mirroring a lot of symptoms of depression uh, that hopefully people are paying attention to. What was the distinction for you? For me, it was circumstantial. So if I change enough of my circumstances, then my burnout lifts. But if it's depression and you change enough of your circumstances, that doesn't always guarantee that your depression actually lifts and changes. So for me, it was, I recognized, okay, I know I will go back to being myself if I change enough of my circumstances. When you say circumstances, what do you mean? I, well, fortunately I was graduating and at that time I had about six more months left. So I was graduating from my degree program and I was going to get some of my time back and I was going to move so that my commute wasn't quite as long. Um, and just really force myself to rest more because previously I couldn't justify it. I felt like I have this small window of free time. I need to be cleaning. I need to be going to the gym. I need to be spending quality time with my boyfriend, who is now my husband. I need to be, you know, calling family because I live states and states away. So I should be fostering those relationships. Uh, there were a lot more shoulds. And so I tried to simplify my life. That was a big thing for me but also very hard because I like to do everything. Like most people who burn out do, they want to do everything. They want to be the best. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard from a lot of listeners is that they feel like some of the people that have been on the podcast are not regular people, which I would fight back against because I think everyone is a regular <laughs> person, but yeah. that um, when I burnt out, I was at the top of my career. So especially in the beginning, when I was looking for guests, I was sort of looking to almost prove my story. Like you can have it all and still burn out and you can have access yeah. to things and still burn out. Like it doesn't protect mm -hmm. you. Um, yeah. but it sounds like you were in the midst of like super normal dumb. It, it was a lot. You, but you were just like a, you, you were not a C-level, C-suite level executive with three assistants and like you were a grad student mm -hmm. and a corporate worker, just a yeah. regular average 20 something year old corporate worker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people, uh, and I've heard this from a lot of clients will tell themselves, I don't deserve to be burned out yet. Like I haven't worked hard enough. If I go mm -hmm. back to work and I tell my manager that I'm burned out, like maybe they're a consultant or something, uh, they're going to like laugh in my face because they've been in this career so much longer and they've made it work, even if they're miserable. Um, and so it's just, there's a lot of qualifying you feel like you have to do in order to uh, validate your experience and then also justify making the changes. How did you validate your experience? I have a very low threshold for being miserable. Um, it took me, I mean, it still took me years, but I just, well, I grew up in a Tony Robbins family. Like my parents always listened to all of like his tapes. They raised me on professional development, which is just perfect for 
the trajectory of my career. But in doing that, it's a lot of empowerment, just personal empowerment. And I feel like for those years, I had tuned myself out and I wasn't just paying attention to my own experience, to what kind of my intuition was telling me to, I, I tuned back in and then I was able to recognize where I needed to make changes in order for my quality of life to go back up because I was doing really well on paper. My, the yeah. high achiever in me was thriving, but the, uh, qual my quality of life was suffering as a result, as most people's do when they're, you know, at the peak of their career and they're most miserable. You really want to even that out when possible. Yeah. When you can, <laughs> you have since finished school, changed your career, et cetera. You are, yeah. you know, another person working in the burnout world and, and mm -hmm. thank God mm. for that. But there was something I was reading. I think it was on your LinkedIn page and somebody you were talking about people taking, making career changes as part of their burnout recovery. And somebody commented that for them, they changed careers a bunch of times, but that wasn't the solution. They had to do some changes internally. But then I looked that person up and they were now a coach. So they mm -hmm. actually had changed careers finally. Yeah. Like at the end, it still was a change. So this is something that comes up with people a lot. It comes up with listeners a lot. Like, how do I get through burnout and keep my job? And I've said in the past, and I will repeat again, that sometimes getting out of burnout, the side effect of that is leaving your job. Sometimes mm -hmm. leaving your job isn't the solution, but the but the side effect. Yeah. So what do you see for people that are looking to stay in their careers? And that's something that you get hired to do. Companies hire you to help people stay, you know? So how do you see that working? And how often do you see people staying actually really long-term? Yeah. I would say there's so many directions I want to answer this. <laughs> uh, first, that sometimes people uh, that I work with, it's a performance. They like, and or if their organization points them to me, it's because they want them me to help them get their ducks in a row and perform at work in a way that doesn't burn them out. Maybe it's just a performance structure issue. And once we get things in order, they end up working a lot faster, getting more done and feeling a lot of relief because they actually feel like I'm doing everything I need to do. Unless my manager has told me I'm not doing enough or something is wrong, I like I can rest assured that I am doing enough and they're not manufacturing work and always feeling behind. So that's kind of one camp. The other is people who are in relaxed, not relaxed, perhaps this person worked at a company before that burnt, it was a burnout culture, hardcore. And they learned a lot of burnout habits. And then they come to this new company that is more relaxed and they maintain those habits. They haven't changed the way that they manage themselves just because they're at a different company. And everybody around them is kind of like, you can relax a little bit. Like you don't have to, you know, give 150%. And so for them, it's learning how to scale back and still consider, still feel like a high performer and like they're doing a good job. Um, and then there are people who maybe need to change their relationship with their role. Um, so whether that means you um, for or change the or relationship with within their organization, I should say. So I've worked with people who will look for kind of adjacent roles. Maybe their manager is the problem. And so they love the company, they love the work, but they need to find a way to work under a different manager or they try to transition to working part-time 
or they switch to a different department within the company, which is easier to do than to go find a new role entirely. Um, so they just change how they exist inside of the organization. There are, there are so many different choices in between staying exactly where you are and leaving completely. And so usually we're just trying to figure out where they where that wiggle room exists. The consistent thing that I hear in all of those options is there's some sort of change. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no yeah. matter yes. what, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes that change is internal and sometimes that change is external and sometimes it's a combination of internal and external, but there's a change regardless. And yes. I think this is something that... I hate to disappoint you, dear listeners, but you cannot live the same exact life in the same exact way and get out of burnout. Mm -hmm. You can prob maybe keep your job if you have a supportive boss and a supportive environment, et cetera, et cetera. You can maybe stay with your company if you have supportive upper management and the ability to move laterally and or up in different areas of the, of the, um, of the company. You can do sometimes enough internal work to make a situation more tenable for you, but not always because you don't control all the factors when we're looking mm -hmm. at external things. However, in all of those scenarios, something's got to give. Yeah, absolutely. Something has to shift. And one of the things that you say that I don't hear other people saying these two words side by side, <laughs> I think everybody talks about this, but nobody says this exactly Mm -hmm. self-management can we mm -hmm. can we like just do a deep dive into what the hell that really means and how people can start accessing a little bit of different power so they can maybe do it differently so what first let's start with when you are when you say self-management what is it that you mean so I'm gonna well I wish I could pop visuals in front of all your faces but I cannot so um okay so when I'm talking about how you manage yourself, that is kind of the mindset piece of burnout management. That is your, there's always your internal experience and an external experience that's going on around you. And the internal experience is inside your head, your thoughts, feelings, how you're doing that internal management, that's mindset. So the example I'm gonna give you is, say there are two people and they go to an identical spa day. Person A is thinking, I have so many other things to do. This is not the best use of my time and my money. I should have been spending this, doing this other thing. They're going through their to-do list. They're thinking about the things they're falling behind on because they're doing this instead for themselves. So they've gone through the spa day, but they were ruminating and they were badgering themselves the entire time. So they leave not feeling entirely rested. Person B goes into the spa day and their internal management, what they're telling themselves is, I really needed this. You know, you've got to slow down to speed up. This is what I need. By taking care of myself, I can take care of everything else better. I can be present and just enjoy this. Life is not that serious. I can get an hour long, you know, spot treatment and the wheels should not fall off. Um, and that person leaves feeling physically, mentally rested because they managed that experience internally in a way that allowed them to really just be present and experience it. And a lot of times when people manage themselves in the workplace, they are managing themselves. They sound like person A. They're always behind. They're always thinking of mistakes they've made, things they could do better, things they're behind on, opportunities they didn't take. 
that internal management is then reflected in their external management. And you can see in their calendar and in how clipped they are in meetings because they're in a rush and how often they pick up their phone on their personal time to check on work things and check on emails. Your internal management determines your external management. And for a lot of people, they are person A at that point, like at this point, and they're trying to get closer to person B where their external management is sitting down and working when it's time to work, almost compartmentalizing it, and then putting it down when it's done because you believe work is just work, not life. That's my life. Like over there outside, like going and, you know, spending time with friends, family, um, enjoying a hobby I enjoy, just that that is life. Work is not life. And so believing that, behaving in that way, not picking up your phone outside of working hours, um, your internal management determines your external management and that determines the quality of your life. So you've said that a few times, this sentence, your internal management mm -hmm. determines your external management. When you say external management, what do you mean? I mean, how you run yourself, like how you operate day to day and what you expect of yourself and the way that you show up in your life and then do things. Um, I think I'm trying, I, I don't want to generalize, but I feel like we all know the kind of type A, like practically vibrating in place person who is all is behind and has a billion things to do no matter what. That you can tell that their internal management and external management is a little chaotic, so stressful to them that the people around them are stressed just being in proximity of them. It's like this contagious energy. Um, you can also tell when people have that kind of type B management where they're more relaxed and in the way that they manage themselves, everything will get done. It's maybe not as urgent to them. And there's this is a spectrum. So there are so many people who fall just like smack in the middle of that, but they operate in a more relaxed way. And very often in burnout, especially by volume, you I'm working with those people who are always telling themselves that they're behind and there's so much more they could do and they're never doing enough. And that leads to so many of the symptoms of burnout because they're just never satisfied. So much of getting out of burnout is finally being satisfied and feeling like you have peace and freedom in your own life. So internal management is how you are talking to yourself about the life that you're living, the tasks that you're participating in, your work, your family, whatever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. And external management is how you're acting within mm -hmm. those systems. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah. Great summary. So for people that maybe grew up experiencing trauma and had someone talking to them in a way that created this internal management system that sounds... Like, like most people don't choose this. Yeah. You know, this is something that sort of happens to you. Like not everybody grew up in a Tony Robbins family. Yeah. Right? So if somebody didn't grow up in a Tony Robbins family and they're like, well, I don't know how to change this. Mm -hmm. Where, where do you start? I think that um, not leading by example, but like watching people who model the way is so much more impactful than just being told hey, you should make extra time every night to spend at least 20 minutes on something you enjoy. When I like follow people or I, I watch you know, different influencers actually make that time and do that thing for themselves, that is more influential to me and to a lot of people who are kind of more visual to actually include that thing. And 
I think that that's a good starting point for people is look look to models of this behavior. If the only models you've ever seen are people who can't sit still or who operate in a way that you don't want to replicate, you got to get out of that and get into the space with people who are doing the things you want to replicate. When I take a vacation, I always put up in my Facebook group and on all over social media that like, listen, you write to me over the next week. I mm -hmm. I will not respond to you. I am yeah. not here. And, and part of, and I tell people intentionally, like part of the reason that I do this is so that you know that you can do this too. Yes, absolutely. Like, I'm doing this intentionally. If, if I might, if I'm honest, <laughs> tag right back into all of those things. If I didn't know that modeling that behavior was so important to everybody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's an, it's an interesting thing to think about in that way. There's. I can hear people, sometimes when I'm interviewing people, I can hear my listeners' voices in my head. And oftentimes they say, oh, you asked exactly the question that I that I was thinking, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm in their heads yeah. right now, or they're in my head. I don't know who's in whose head. <laughs> I just heard a voice say, yeah, well, it's nice that other people can do that, but I can't do that. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. Other people are luckier than me. Other people have more help than me. I'm by myself. I have kids to take care. I have the whole list of reasons why finding a model is unhelpful to them because they can't possibly do the things that this model is doing for reasons A through like double Z. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so hard. Um, it's because you, from the outside, would have to undo so many years of feeling that way and believing those things. And honestly, the first stage in following people who are modeling things that you don't feel are possible for you, the first stage is just being triggered every day. Like, following, like I follow this one influencer who I love. And every day she makes these really creative snacks for her kids. And at like half of the comments are always like, this is unrealistic. Like most parents are so busy. They're not going to slow down and make these snacks for their kids. And it's like, if you would just see the magic of it and do your own version of it, do you like it? Like the question is, are you triggered because you see something you like and you want it? If so, yeah, it's triggering at first, but it's not a bad thing. Just like acknowledge what it is that you're envious of, like what it is you're seeing that you want and what's your version of it. You don't have to start out by cutting out dinosaurs every day after school, after like your full shift, like start out somewhere smaller and move towards that. And if it is some, like, if it's not something that you want, don't just be mad about it because you're never, never planning on including it. Like find the things that trigger you understand there's going to be that triggering phase and then figure out you can, you have two options, like literally only two. You can either find ways to start to include it or you can not do it. Like it's a priority for you or it's not a priority for you. And you're going to behave differently based on which one you decide it is. I have never, I will say, I've not worked with somebody who had set something as a priority and then didn't get closer to it. Even if it was triggering for them to say, okay, this is a priority for me now, which means I'm going to have to do X, Y, Z. It, it, they still had to go through that triggered phase, but then they got closer to it because they got through that phase. But if you're, it's not a priority and you're not willing to go through that, then you're probably not going to see those changes. Amen. It's hard. It it's is hard. Hard. <laughs> yeah. It is hard. 
this is mm -hmm. something that that comes up a lot that people say well so-and-so was on the podcast but she has more access to resources or so-and-so was there and one day I stopped and I said hey listen the thing is this person had access to resources that they used learned some lessons and then gave you the lessons for free on this podcast and you can either implement those lessons or not yeah yeah yeah. We have almost, gosh, this is going to be episode 230 something. If you can't find something in an episode that you can implement, it's not because it's not there. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's a really, really hard thing. I think this is, this is like double fold. I think, first of all, the people that burn out have a higher tendency toward having previous trauma, which mm -hmm. sets your brain up to talk to you and, and like interpret the world in a very particular way. Yeah. And then when you're burnt out, you also have, or additionally have this sense of like feeling lack of control, feeling like you mm -hmm. don't influence your life, feeling like you you know, are making all the wrong choices, then blaming yourself or blaming somebody else, both of which yeah. are not helpful in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That so helplessness, that helplessness, and some of it is learned helplessness, right? Cause that's part of a trauma response. And some of it is, is adapted, um, you know, helplessness. And some of it yeah. is yeah, like, there's so many things tied up in this, mm -hmm. but I think what you just said is really important. If you see something and it triggers you, one of the biggest tools we use at Fried is resentment. Mm -hmm. And we use it for this purpose. Look at the things that are causing resentment in you and then figure out how to shift your life so that that's not true anymore, mm -hmm. right? This is the same message and wrapped in a different, in a different package. Let yourself be triggered by it. Let yourself yeah. be annoyed by it. And then ask yourself, am I mad because it's actually unrealistic completely? Or could I take a half a step in that direction and have a little bit more joy in my life? Would I allow that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Fried fam, I tell you in nearly every episode that step one of your burnout recovery is blood work. And I know that a lot of you avoid it because it's a pain and because your doctor has told you that everything is quote unquote fine. And they refuse to test all the things that you think you need. What if I told you that you could test what you want, when you want, from your home with just a couple of drops of blood? Cyfox Health allows you to do just that. You can buy tests as one-offs or join a membership. Either way, you can test and track your results to help you make decisions about your burnout recovery journey. Get 10% off any membership, subscription, or one-time test kit right now. Go to scifoxhealth.com forward slash fried for your discount. That's S-I-P-H-O-X health.com forward slash fried. And I like what you said about, you know, if they didn't grow up uh, with it or if they grew up with either learned helplessness or like they they learned that from maybe somebody who like I've worked with a lot of people who 
their parents were like not the opposite of their first cheerleader. What's the opposite? Yes. Like their first critic. They were the, yeah. the people who instilled the most fear in them yes. and who were like, well, you know, you went out for this award, but you might not get it. So if you don't get it, like, and it, they taught them to dress rehearse disappointment and they taught them to anticipate that bad things will happen instead of that good things will happen when yeah. it's like, you know, 50, 50, if not just skewed <laughs> one way or the other. Yeah. And it sets you up for that internal management. Like a right. lot of our, that way we learn to talk to ourselves is early influences, yeah. teachers, coaches, friends that we have, media we absorb. And so to reshape that, it really takes, you know, that voice will probably pop up and then a counter thought of, you know, this could go terribly wrong. The next job I get could be even worse. And then the yeah. counter voice is like, oh, it could be better. And you won't know until you try, but you know, if you stay, you are going to have the exact same experience. So just coaching yourself differently. If you you're accustomed to the, um, lower energy form of coaching that kind of just holds you scared in place. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, especially with religion, mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of and especially the the religion as as in structured religion and also um the religion of gratitude mm -hmm. which gratitude is a powerful thing but if you force gratitude on everything because you heard that you were supposed to but you don't actually feel it this sort of religion of forced gratitude puts you in a place where you don't feel like you're allowed to ask for more have more have it be better is the answer to that the same? Are we looking to models of people that we assume, because we don't actually know if people have more or have better because Instagram and social media is, yeah. is a lie, right? Yeah. But is it the same answer? Like look toward people that are living the life that you assume that you can't live, let it trigger you and move toward it. Like if, is, are we still in that same idea? Did, I don't even know if I asked a question. I definitely have thoughts based on what you asked, okay, though. Good. I feel like <laughs> all of that is external feedback. It's external, just like, it's like everything is our mirror. So it's, you're looking for external validation for internal validation. Like we're mm -hmm. looking at how other people handle things and what other people are doing. And it's, we're bouncing it off of ourselves. And sometimes that's fine and dandy. So that's helpful if you're trying to place yourself in the grand scheme of society and everybody else. But when it comes to just you and how you're living your life and you, knowing what your values are, that might not be reflected in the external and what you're getting, you know, external feedback on. Like nobody's going to cheer for you as loudly for taking a nap as they do you getting a promotion, but that doesn't mean the nap isn't more personally fulfilling. You can't use external factors to gauge the significance of that nap. Um, and so I think that it's at certain points, not helpful to look around and see what people might be thinking or what people might be doing. It's just asking, what does a good day look like for me? today? What do I need to do to feel like it's high quality? And quality of life is in the details. So it's, it's the small things like making, like waking up early and having enough time to like calmly drink your coffee before you start your work day. Um, or actually taking your lunch break, maybe stepping outside, getting some fresh air, making a call to someone. It's having a hard stop for your work day that day, even if maybe it's a little bit later than you planned and then transitioning out of work by going on a quick walk or going to like, I don't know, Pilates class you enjoy and then going home and kind of romanticizing your life and saying, you know, I'm going to put on my pajamas, put on my little TV show and make dinner and just like drink a sparkling water and light a candle and feel like 
this is relaxing and I'm lucky that I get to have this calm after work experience and then like reading a book before bed or whatever it is you do before bed but it's slowing down and reflecting on what your internal values are instead of you know what does everybody else think I should be doing today and how should today look in the grand scheme of Instagram that's too much so focusing on so yourself it's really is funny because these two different pieces of advice were look outside mm-hmm. and look inside yeah yeah right Yep. There's different, different arenas where you want to be using different philosophies. I feel like, cause outside is great. I think looking outside, I will say is really helpful for people who are not used to looking inside or who look inside and feel like it's kind of empty in here. I don't really know what I enjoy. I don't really know what I want this to look like, mm. which unfortunately the answer is to experiment, which is like that person's worst nightmare. Cause it's like, no, yeah. I want to pick something and I want it to be the right hobby. The first time I want it to be the right oh, workout class the first time. <laughs> like, no, yes. Yes. Let's talk about experimenting for a moment. This is, I think, one of the most complicated things to explain to people on a burnout journey and something that I Mm -hmm. talk to every single client about. Yeah. Yeah, but I just want to make the right choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but you don't know if it's going to be the right choice until after you make it. We are very, humans are incredibly, notoriously terrible at anticipating how we are actually going to feel Mm -hmm. when something happens. Yeah. Especially when you're short on resources. It's like if you only have, you know, $10 and you're going to pick out something for dinner. It's like, I literally only have this much. So I want to do it right. Like if you only have 30 minutes at the end of a full day to yourself, you want to pick something that you to do with your time that is the best. Um, But it also comes with acceptance that like, you know what, I'm just experimenting for the next quarter for the next like couple months. I'm just trying something new each time going to, you know, rate how I feel about it. And then I'll have so much more information to work off of by the end of that, instead of forcing yourself to commit to something uh, right away that you end up not liking, or, you know, just feeling like, this is fruitless because I've tried five things and it didn't work. Like it might take more than that. That's okay. Yeah. And sometimes you end up disliking the thing you committed to only because you're committed to it. Yes. Yes, for sure. I love reading. And then sometimes when I have to read books for my book club, I'm like, oh, I picked right. out this book and I don't even want to read it because now I have to read it. <laughs> yeah. So sometimes that, this is, I think, one of the things about, um, burnout recovery and like finding joy again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's also about burnout recovery and choosing good food again. And it's also about there, all of these pieces can feel expansive or contractive. And it Mm -hmm. depends on what kind of mood you're in and what kind of state you're in. And I think one of the things that in this experimentation that might be your burnout recovery and then just actually becomes your life. Like you don't actually, Hey guys, big hint. You don't actually stop experimenting when you feel recovered from burnout. Mm -hmm. Life is still an experiment after that. Yeah. Still. Yeah. Otherwise you experience burnout by boredom, which is one of the other types of burnout. Yeah. Let's get into that. (laughs) So burnout by boredom is like uh, chronic disengagement. It's being uninspired by your life uh, for an extended period of time, whether it's because of repetitiveness or you're not experiencing positive challenge. Um, it, it was common in people during the pandemic who might have even had things in their life, in their day-to-day life that they enjoyed, but 
our brains need novelty and variety in order to stay engaged. And there was just not enough novelty and variety. And so in like that, in the spirit of experimentation, even when you do find peace, you're, you might still need to shake that piece up a bit just to keep yourself engaged so you don't plateau and then think there's something wrong and then make some giant change because you were just experiencing some of this, experiencing some of this burnout by boredom. Yeah. And I think this, this is important to talk about because I think that getting to a point after experiencing a significant burnout where your physical health declined, your mental health declined, it took you 18 months, two years to climb out of. Mm-hmm. And then getting to a place again when you start to feel discomfort or dissatisfaction is incredibly nerve-wracking. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest fears that Sarah and I have both heard over the years from our clients is, I just don't want to end up here again. So how do you see, do you find this to be true, A? And B, if so, how do you help people face the inevitable life moments that are maybe a little disappointing, but are not burnout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So something that I hear in the job hunting realm that I think folds into this is they'll, they'll say like, you never start from zero again. You, in your previous job, you gained skills that you're not going to lose. You gained a network that you're not going to lose. You, you are not going to get back down to zero. When you experience the worst burnout of your life, you're not going to get to that point again, because now like you, you've had experience that is going to keep you from getting there. Um, and you also can't undo certain things that you learn about taking care of yourself. Like I quarterly burn myself out on purpose just to get myself back into the headspace. Cause it's so easy to forget and, you know, start telling people, Oh, you know, make time for yoga class and make time to do these things. And then when you're really burned out again, you're like, yeah, I have 15 minutes at the end of the day uh, and I don't have time. Like a yoga class literally is not on my radar. Like on a scale from zero being you are in hell to like 10 being super happy and balanced, go to a yoga class is for somebody who's at a six, who's halfway to healthy, not for somebody at a zero who's literally in fight or flight mode all the time. So um, you you start when you recover, you start doing things that you can't just shut off. Like you start thinking in different ways. You change your mindset in a way where you're never going to get back to the the darkest thoughts that you have. Not saying never, never say never, but like you don't, you aren't as likely to get back to that place because you know an alternative way of thinking now that you might not have known then. You start doing personal care that you know you're going to do no matter what, because it makes such a big difference for you, even if it's small things. You start including stress management that supports you, that you don't drop when things start to get hard because you know that's the most important time to do it. So you start including more of that. You learn so much about time management when you were in the pits that now you can do that time management in your sleep because it's the only thing that kind of got you through that. And you're going to keep those things in place so you never get back to where you were before you had that method of time management. Um, You just incorporate small things that keep you that are kind of insurance that you don't get back to that place. Now the cure for burnout, Mm -hmm. (laughs) your first book. Yes. How are you feeling? Good. Um, 
I was petrified it's... before I released my first book. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that being uh having a platform online is yeah. just baptism by fire, like as far as feedback goes and as far as creation goes. And it really just helped me realize like and as a an avid consumer of people's books. I read a book and then it's done and I just move on to the next book. I listen to a podcast and then it's done and I let's move on to the next podcast. Like I understand in this realm of creation that if you make an impact wonderful, otherwise most people, cause it's like, there's the excitement about its potential. And then there's the fear about like, Oh, what, what could the bad, what bad could possibly come of this? But I, I can dissuade myself from worrying about any potential bad by just saying like, most people are too busy to like slow down and spend all this time on me. Like they probably are going to go right back to worrying about what they're going to make for dinner and what they're going to wear to that holiday party. And like that embarrassing thing they said in front of their boss, like they don't actually care that much. But as far as the positive impact, um, I, I think it's just another tool for people's tool belt. And I'm, glad to have everything in one place. I feel like delivering information online is such a, such a mess. It's so hard to keep it organized in a way that is truly helpful to people, especially if they expect you to be posting, you know, like three times a day on all these things. Like how am I supposed to create something coordinated with these expectations? So I feel well, like and it's how should I? Yeah. And how should I get the nuance out of yeah. what I'm saying? You know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's nearly impossible to, I just read something yesterday about how people that think really fast, people whose brains yeah. tend to move really fast, so like raising hand emoji, when yeah. they speak, they're only saying about 14% or less of what they're actually thinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that as soon I read that and I was like, that makes so much sense to my brain because I can never get out all, all of the nuances of the thoughts that are happening and pinging around my brain as I'm going through, whether it's a straight from Kate episode or whether it's an interview or whether I'm being interviewed on somebody else's platform or whatever it is. There's yeah. there's always more. There's yeah. always a deeper thing to talk about. There's always a there's just always more. So I, I like books for that reason, because it gives you a little bit, of, a little bit more space to mm -hmm. be a little bit more nuanced and a little bit more explicit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I think is great. Absolutely. And it's just, there's just so much more continuity that yeah. you just don't see online. What do you think? What kind of, what gap does this book fill? Do you think? Um. So this book was born of one-on-one -on -one coaching and coaching. So I started out doing one-on-one -on -one coaching and then I got back into doing corporate training and getting to speak to companies like Pepsi and Nickelodeon and, you know, Live Nation, like all of these really incredible companies that still, that had all these really impressive people in it that were still asking a lot of these same questions that I was seeing reflected in the one-on-ones um, where it's, how do I respectfully uh, and without losing authority set a boundary that I'm not free after 7 PM? How do I, you know, set this, out of office reminders so that like people don't think that I don't care as much about doing my work as they do because I'm taking time off. Like you were seeing a lot of those same questions reflected. So I think that it's a really applicable tool for people in the professional space um, with explicit instructions because it's born from coaching and training where they, they're not there to just like hear my thoughts and stories. Like they want tools. And so it's a lot of those tools reflected back in the book. I love that. Do you, is it designed more toward the corporate environment or would it be applicable regardless? 
it's applicable regardless. So the five pillars of burnout that we go over inside of it are mindset, time management, stress management, boundaries, and personal care. And all of those are pretty universal. There are absolutely tools that are geared towards somebody who's in a corporate position. And then it can be translated into somebody like entrepreneur burnout, or uh, like if you're a single mom and you are doing all of these things, like you can still use some of those tools because they just, you know, time management and personal care and mindset apply to everybody. What are you most proud of in the book? Hmm. Finishing it. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a process. And yes. it, when you're in it, it feels like there are a million phases in front of you and a million edits in front of you. And like, I, I'm just so glad that it's done and people get to see it. It was kind of a relief when it was like, I can no longer receive feedback on this. It just <laughs> is going to be out in the world. <laughs> if for those of you that have not written a book, wow, with the edits is all we have to say. It's, you got to like it. You don't, you, you can't write books and not like writing. Like it, it, if you did, oh, it would be a miserable process for you. Like, luckily I love writing, but it would, it, I think people who don't like writing, they end up just sticking to one book because they're like, yeah, yeah, that was enough. <laughs> well, and you have to be available to understand that the feedback that the people are giving you is okay. <laughs> oh yeah. It can be really hard to get some of it. Some of it I was really relieved to get, I remember, because I remember feeling like I didn't, I knew that this was important and I knew it didn't belong in this chapter, but I didn't know where it fit. Mm -hmm. And having yeah. a developmental editor come in and say, actually, this would be better over here. And as soon as they said it, I was like, well, duh, of course, it, of course, it's better. Of <laughs> So obvious now that you pointed out yeah. to me, which is a lot like coaching, right? Like yeah. somebody gives you feedback and you're like, oh, yeah, no kidding. I knew that. I mm -hmm. totally knew that I wasn't doing it and I didn't think it. But now that you say it, it's really obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would like I am so glad that I got started with sharing things like content online because people are ruthless. Like yeah. these people, this, these comment sections are just so they're, you know, that like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all thing that people used to learn. They don't teach that anymore. People just say stuff. And yeah. if, if you can tune that out, like there is genuine feedback because somebody yes. wants you to be better. And then there's harsh criticism with the intent to harm or like the intent to just hurt you because they didn't like something. And you yeah. get so much of that kind of feedback that I am so open to true, true, like they want this to be as good as possible, um, yeah. feedback and being in that space, people are like, I'm so like, I, that when they would apologize for giving me feedback, I'm like, you know, you were fine. You didn't even like call me a bad name in this. So like, this is great feedback. Like I'm used to much worse. Trust me. You, I'm very coachable. I think makes it easy to receive that kind of feedback. And yeah. if somebody doesn't like something that I do, like if somebody reads the book and they're like, this is awful. I'm like, okay. Like You're I've right. read books where I didn't like them. I personally just kept it pushing and didn't mention it, but like, that's okay. <laughs> Uh, somebody recently asked about, and I, we don't have a ton of time, but I want to just th like throw this by you now that we're talking about this. Somebody recently said in the Facebook group, like, why, why don't we talk about, you know, being a creator in the online space and what kind of burnout that leads to? Because that's like an overwork burnout, but also a society burnout. Like that's like a yes. combo deal feels like oh to me. Oh my gosh. I could do, I feel like I... 
I, I have so many videos drafted, honestly, on TikTok of talking about creator burnout. And a lot of them start with this huge disclaimer of like, it is a huge privilege to even get to have content creation be your job. I understand that. Like I'm the child of a first generation immigrant who had to do like gen, like all of my family has had yeah. to work way harder than I have in my cushy little office life. That doesn't mean I don't still have hard long days, but it's just like, there's so, there's so many disclaimers to be had because it feels like com complaining about a job that so many people would kill for. And so I feel like it's a conversation that needs to be had, but it needs to be had in a contained space with people who are, who the conversation is relevant to somebody who's like working a hundred hours a week, you know, in like a, like a, you know, social work role or like a nursing yeah. capacity or something where it's like so hard. They don't want to hear about that. Like they, and understandably that would be frustrating and triggering and that's just not content for them. So I think if it could be contained to that space, I think there are so many conversations to be had about the type of burnout that comes from creation and constant feedback, a lot of it negative and feeling like your income is tied to your likability and feeling like you like are creating all of this. And then the second you create it, you have to create more because it's getting pushed down by the algorithm. There's no longevity to the work. There's so much to be said about it. That sounds like a whole nother episode. I know. <laughs> Seriously. So throwing this out there, Fried Fam, you know that I don't often have people on the podcast twice. However, if this is something that you want Emily and, I, Emily and I to dive into a little bit more, it does sound like we easily have an hour of okay. things to talk about. So when you get the email um, announcing this episode, hit reply tell me that you want this and I'll get in touch with Emily and we'll see if we can make it happen. If you are not on my newsletter list yet, what the hell are you waiting for? <laughs> you go onto my Instagram or onto my website or into a million different places and get on the newsletter list. You get access to free office hours where you can ask questions about burnout. You can there's all sorts of downloads available. So I don't know what you're doing. Not on my newsletter list if you're not there. Also, you get to write to me when you are, whenever you want. Mm -hmm. So like, come on. Um, <laughs> but if you do want to hear that episode, please let us know. Uh, and we will, well, will we make some time for that? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'd love <laughs> I was to. <laughs> I was making that decision for us and I yeah. didn't ask you. Yeah, I, I should think ask. that's great. Emily, now that your book is going to be out two days from the release of this episode, so this episode releases February 11th, 2024, your book releases February 13th, 2024, you might be listening to this after that date because, you know, things in the internet land last forever, but mm -hmm. if somebody is looking for your book, what's the best place to go so they can find it right away and grab it as soon as possible, I think this is going to be a really important addition to the burnout relief libraries that people are building. Yes. Thank you. Um, so you can go to my website is www.emilyballesteros.com. So just my full name. Um, it's also on all of my social media. My handle on Instagram and TikTok are Emily B. Ruth. Um, and it's linked in my bios and you can buy it from all major retailers. So like Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Target, like it's linked in all of those places or like, hopefully they're just in the store. And if you see it in a store, take a picture with it. I'll freak out. So that's awesome. I can't wait to find it in like one of those airport stores where I'm going to a speaking oh gig and like send you a picture. It's going to be the funnest. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I'm going to be insufferable. I'm actually going to go to every physical store I can see and just like sit there in the aisle with my whole hugging my book. I can't wait. It's unreal. <laughs> I can't, I can't wait for that. 
Fred fam, of course, those links and all of Emily's links will be in the show notes as per usual. I cannot wait to hear what you got out of this episode. I know that every single episode has a seed of healing within it. So I'm wondering what your seed is this week. You can shoot me an email and let me know. You can hop in the Facebook group and let me know. I can't wait to hear about it. And Emily, I guess until next time. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for blowing you kisses, sending you hugs. Thank you so much for coming. Ride fam, we love you.